for May 3rd, 2010. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 96, Raw Ginger Tea. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the bleeding edge of America, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with another gargantuan panel, a panel that's really too big for its own good, uh, to overthink many things, the news of the week, Geek Week Boston, MIA, uh, some, 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 some I murder, and some, some I let go. But I won't let any of the panelists go tonight. I'm going to ask them the question of the week. It's, what is your favorite ginger? Who is your favorite ginger in all of media, popular culture, or the universe? Uh, in alphabetical <laughs> order, drink if you're playing the OTI podcast drinking game, because someone is before Fenzel. That's right. It's Natalie Baseman. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. All right. Favorite ginger. Thought about this a lot, guys. And I have to say, it's definitely Prince Harry of Wales. <laughs> nice. Dirty Harry, as he's sometimes call. called. Good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dirty Harry. He's got this crude, is he a Nazi thing going on? And like, he drinks, and then he went to the war, and he served on the front line in Afghanistan, and he's, you know, he could be king one day, but he probably won't. So he has that like bitter look in his eyes, but he's still kind of cute. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to say him. Excellent. Uh, Set your sights sights high. Set your sights in the British royal family. Right, right. And it's also like it would be a scandal if we got married because I'm Jewish and an American commoner. That's that's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Prince Harry, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah. And and you want to star in a uh, romantic comedy. You can just uh, you hit up Natalie Baseman. But I'm going to hit up Peter Fenzel. Uh, there's only really one way I could answer this question, and that's by trying to reclaim the dignity and rightful place of my own given name, which has been profaned by something, someone being in front of it in the alphabetical order. So I'm going to say that my favorite ginger is uh, Pete's brother Pete. From Pete and Pete, the Adventures of Pete and Pete on uh, Nickelodeon. Uh, he is he is rowdy. He's, he's he's ornery. He sort of was brooding. He had that tattoo of the dancing lady on his arm. This is a uh, Nickelodeon show from when we were early adolescents or children about two brothers who were redheaded who had problems that were relatively normal and who <laughs> went through trials and tribulations that were somewhat predictable but had a little bit of edge, just a little bit. And I'm going to say most. Mostly because my own name uh, requires the boost that Pete's brother Pete from the Adventures of Pete and Pete is my favorite ginger. Excellent. Uh, th- you know, it's <laughs> funny to think about those Nickelodeon shows that are the prototype of the Disney, the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon shows that are doing so well these days. You know what I mean? The, yeah. uh, you know, Hey Dude and um, Salute Your Shorts and Adventures of Pete yep. and Pete. Uh, you know, that oh, is, is Buttnick a ginger? Buttnick a ginger too, and he's totally cooler than the guys on Pete and Pete. Buttnick <laughs> oh, had right. the right, Buttnick had the righteous mullet, right? Or no, he had long hair. And he was in T two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I already gave my my answer though, and if I change criteria, my answer stops making sense. So there you go. <laughs> 
All right. I fear there's a lot of people on the podcast. There's a lot of gingers to go through. <laughs> Next Make in, it easy for you guys. I'm leaving the easy ones out out there. Pick them up. Next in alphabetical order, Mark Lee. All right. So this is tonight was the first time I'd ever heard of the word ginger being used to just to describe redheads. So I was all ready to talk about uh, the wonderful product, uh, raw ginger tea. If you take this like, a chunk of ginger and slice it up and you just throw it in boiling water, you get extremely strong ginger tea. And it'll clear you right up. It's fantastic. But if we're talking about redheaded people and their contributions to pop culture, my answer is going to have to be Simon Pegg because uh, he makes wonderful movies, including Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And he's on Twitter. And he's fun on Twitter. So Simon Pegg, you're my favorite ginger. Is he? I mean, is there a, is there a redhead continuum? You know, that stretches from kind of strawberry blonde uh, at one end to sort of Julianne Moore at the other end. And where does he fall on that <laughs> continuum? I don't know what his real hair color is. Like he dyes it, right? Or does he not dye it? I've seen him redheaded. I've seen him blonde. I've seen him move around a lot. Maybe he's a shapeshifter. <laughs> I think that. I think yes. That is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Josh McNeil next in the alphabet. What's going on? Well, like Mark, I spent most of the time thinking about this, thinking about the delicious ginger chicken at the Pad Thai Shack two blocks from my house. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to go with Allison Hannigan. And I don't, for those who know who that is, I don't think I need to say anything else. That's one of the easy ones, by the way. That's what yeah, I left really for is. you guys because it's Sorry. easy. Because she's pretty wonderful. I was distracted actor. by the Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. We're under her spell. Let's see. Who's next? <laughs> Element of peak. Really, Matt? Really? Yes. Are you really do that? <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, I, I actually, I'm having serious trouble with alphabetical order tonight. So I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little distracted. In addition to the usual five or six things that I'm trying to concentrate on to live stream and things like this but john parrish is next john what up what up what up so having been told several times yay so having been told several times that i sound like one half of the mythbusters crew it would be it would be uh quite wrong of me not to give a shout out to my other half adam savage probably the most scientifically literate ginger in pop culture today Okay. No one disputed it. <laughs> that is a fact. That is an uncontrovertible fact. Yeah, we gave it time. People are cool. Move on. Myth, myth confirmed. <laughs> Ryan Sheely. I'm going to go with the one more scientifically uh, literate uh, ginger uh, in the culture. That is, that is Carrot Top. <laughs> hey. I'm glad he made it. <laughs> he really wasn't on my list, but I, I felt like I, I had to I had to slip that in there. Um, I had several others that were up there. I think the runner-up is is Christina Hendricks, uh, the actress who plays Joan Joan Holloway on Mad Men. But well, and that would probably be my real answer. But well, this, yeah. this, this, if you if you Google redhead, Carrot Top is the first response. <laughs> also, if you Google image search Carrot Top, you'll see disturbing pictures of a of a roided out jacked carrot top so do that <laughs> um did uh you know is that are all redheads gingers or is it just you know extremely pale redheads with with freckles and i such. think it's all okay i think it's an and it's an inclusive are there other kinds term. of redhead yeah like christine you have strawberry blonde for example you have your your dye jobs well, the jobs clearly don't count. In the, uh, but in you're the, right. Christina Hendricks is not freckly. 
Right. Well, at least not in her makeup. Who knows? You know, who knows what she's yeah, true. like? Um, true. The uh, Ambrosius uh, in the chat room, in our uh, live streaming chat room, who has identified himself as a ginger, uh, it says that, that the freckles are a necessary component. Uh, Ryan, oh, so, so uh, Ryan, it's good to have you on the podcast. Ryan is uh, my co-host on the These Effing Teenagers podcast, the R-rated, spoilerific, uh, sociological inquiry that we do every week into Gossip Girl and Glee, the latest episode, uh, Santorum. Is up on overthinking it uh, right now, and we also we talk about Pen- we talk about Pennsylvania politics, <laughs> and we uh, we actually we actually uh, we coin a new term that at least I hadn't uh, I hadn't uh, heard before in reference to the uh, to the threesome episode of Gossip Girl uh, when two of the characters sleep together one on one, if you will. We refer to them as doing it on the deuce. So uh, we're trying to make that we're trying to make that happen as a bit of slang. Everyone needs goals. <laughs> uh, and we also, uh, Ryan and I guessed, uh, guessed, uh, guessed it on the, um, on the Gleeful podcast, which is a, a non-sociological examination of the, um, uh, of the, the show Glee, which you can find. But it was great. It was great fun. It was yeah, great fun. It was, and, and it's a good episode. I think there was some good discussion that we had. But theirs is a podcast where you actually listen to the music from the show. So it's, it's, there's more of a recap quality. Uh, there's more of a recap quality to that show. But we, we raised some, some uh, issues, I thought. And they, they, were, uh, yeah. they, they were definitely uh, had some interesting conversation with us. Anyway, so. Well, and we learned the benefits of going through uh, in a more linear fashion as opposed to our, um, our, our more digressive fashion. Our and so highly, that I actually. Yeah. <laughs> our highly discursive, yeah. uh, our highly discursive thing. Um, well, one, it's great. Sorry, for- one side note. One side note before we move away from gingers totally, uh, this is probably going to be this has probably been a continuing source of hilarity for our international audience since ginger is also a slang in in Cockney rhyming slang for a male homosexual. So that that may ju- just for our British and Australian audience, that's not what we meant in this case. What is the what is the full it, Cockney rhyming slang uh, phrase for it? Well, I mean, it's it's just ginger, but it's short for ginger beer, meaning queer. Oh, okay, ginger beer. It, ginger beer is the full phrase. Excellent. Yes, although, and, although they, just, they need more to do in Cockney. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I will go. I will go on. I don't know who I'm echoing through. Uh, I, I will go on and, and uh, finish it up. My favorite ginger is the ginger that uh, is pickled and comes on a side of sushi. All right. Speaking of gingers. Hey, <laughs> I am disappointed. I am disappointed in all of you because there was no spice in that countdown. And that was the one that I wanted to take. And I let you guys go in the hopes <laughs> that someone was going to pick it up. But with no ginger spice in this podcast, I, well, I, I might pickled, look it up. Pickled ginger is definitely a spice. Uh, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. All right, rather continue. <laughs> no, wait, Pete. Tell me, t- well, Pete. Tell me what you want. What you really, really want? I wanna. Um, huh? I wanna. Huh? I wanna. We could do this all day. We really could. Forget my future. Forget my past. Okay, let's keep going. Yes. So uh, Gingers comes up in connection with MIA's music video, though it's I I guess the authorship of this video is is somewhat contested because it's it's a a French director uh, who who did the video, who apparently does this kind of thing a lot. Um, 
But you know, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, you can go to MIA's own website, which is miauk.com. Uh, MIA is the Sri Lankan sort of transnational um, rapper and uh, and musician. Ah, that that click can only mean one thing: Fenzel has started his root beer. That's correct, and it's delicious. Sorry, I should have muted it. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> well, you got to build the pyramid. You know, Cheops didn't build itself. You know, right, uh, exactly. The um... so uh... yes. So uh, Ryan asked to come on to talk about uh, to talk about this thing. It was on YouTube. It got pulled down off YouTube for being offensive. Um, and we are, uh, and you know, we're here to, uh, to overthink the, the impact, uh, Sri Lankan rapper, French director, uh, American racism, you know, symbolized by the rounding up of, of ginger people and making them spoiler alert, uh, run across a minefield and blow up to sort of ethnically cleanse the gingers out of, um, it looks like, you know, I don't know. It looks like any sort of urban decay sort of center. It, you know, maybe any big city is it is it la i I mean i've I've sort of it looks like the la skyline to me but it's it's sort of non-specific it's shot in a way that makes it think that that is kind of like you know every every downtown usa right right but they they get to desert very quickly right um which is uh there's not very very many other places that where that would happen which would sort of recommend Um, southern california wouldn't it well ryan you asked to come on to to talk about uh to talk about this i'll let you um i'll let you start us off um well i guess um i'm i'm wondering i think a lot of the there's been a lot of debate on the on the internets about it um and i think that there's a, a few things that um that that have been coming up i guess what why i've been thinking about is that i've been in my mind contrasting it and trying to uh to think about it in context of the other um, nine-minute-long uh, semi-cinematic music video that dropped this year, which is Lady Gaga's Telephone. Um, and and I guess we, we, this came up during Overthinking It Live. Uh, the, the one question that was more or less repeated across our two nights of doing live Q&A were, were questions about, uh, about uh, Lady Gaga. One uh, with reference to uh, why she was, we thought she was uh, voted Entertainer of the Year um, over... Um, over Conan O'Brien, and another of is is Lady Gaga, our um, our generation's uh, Madonna. And in 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 response to the second question, I said that um, you know it's hard to view uh, Lady Gaga outside of her 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 at least the growing feud that MIA is apparent uh, seems to want to be starting with her. Um, uh, Lady uh, MIA in a um, recent interview came out and pretty much put Lady Gaga on blast, saying that she's not as as original or weird as she thinks she is um and that um you know the difference between mia and um and lady gaga is that you know they both uh, appropriate lots of influences but when uh when lady gaga appropriates them they all come out exactly the same um with so you know mia is trying to draw a line in the sand that she is she is an artist uh mia or and and then lady gaga is 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 crap and i'm you know i'm wondering what you know after after we've all you know, now got a chance to take a look at this video, um, and I think most of us have probably seen uh, Gaga's body of work as well. Uh, you know, is there is there validity to that? Um, and then the second question I th- that I think is interesting is, what do we make of the of the politics of of this video? Um, is it is it a 
you know, is there actually a coherent political message uh, there, or is it just a a, a shock value um, attention grab? I'll I'll jump in with with my take on it because rather you mentioned at the at the top of this that it was a comment on racism in America, and unless there's some official gloss that I've missed, that's not what I took from it at all. Mm-hmm. But I interpreted it as a statement on uh, American ignorance of for of you know affairs in the rest of the world yeah specifically how american and and you know western audiences aren't aren't aware of how things are in say sri lanka cambodia and other mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. third world hell holes and the reason i take it this way is because this is the sort of stuff that happens in laos and sri lanka and cambodia just about every day i mean people of one ethnic group being rounded yeah. up sent yeah. to run through minefields being executed at close range and i thought the point of the video very obviously and very skillfully done was if this was happening in the U.S. to an ethnic group that is sort of on the margins but whom we all recognize and, and would treat as equals our, ourselves, it would be much more shocking to us. And I think uh, Mia's point, is, or MIA, is it MIA or Mia? MIA. I, I MIA. think MIA, yeah. I think, I think MIA's his point is that, you know, I'm trying to recast this in a context that will shock you more in order that the real thing that's happening will shock you more. Yeah, I know. My my take on it was that it was a political uh, uh, political opposition to U.S. interventionism abroad, right? And Mm -hmm. sort of casting the U.S. military as a blunt instrument. Um, And I mean, and and my reaction to it is not that it's like a nuanced commentary, but really that it's it's a political tract. It's like a it's like a trying to convince you of a particular opinion, which is that you know U.S. interventionism uh, is wrong. Um, by offering you a really visceral and reductive emotional appeal to a problem that we all know is more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't really find the video to be intellectually all that interesting. I mean, it's well shot and it's pretty. Um, it doesn't have anything at all to do with the song, right? Yeah. Like, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's like, it stands sort of in opposition to the song. Like, the tone of it is similar, but the song is kind of buried in the video. Uh, I mean, I, I saw it mostly, I mean, it's hard for me to think. I know Mia MIA, sorry, has claimed that she has no formal asso- no association with the Tamil Tigers, um, but like given her background, it's hard to not see uh, a sort of sympathy for revolution that is geared towards you know a my team your team mentality that we all have for our own teams and other teams. You know, it, it's I don't want to dismiss it because it's not that it's not important. But and it's the kind of thing that changes people's minds, but it's not necessarily a syllogism. You know what I mean? Like, it's not necessarily a logical appeal. It's like an, an attempt to emotionally manipulate by showing little girls getting shot in the face. Or in the head, sorry. In the side of the head. Not the face. Spoilers. Um, and I mean, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's, I'm isn't, not, it a boy? isn't it a boy? Yeah, I thought it was a little a dude. Boy. You yeah. know, you can't tell That's a genders. dude? That's yeah, a very it's like, it's like, it's like young carrot top. That is the most shocked I've been in watching this video is that that is apparently a dude. <laughs> I thought that was a little girl. I apologize to that little dude. That's actually the second time this happened to me this weekend where I put my foot in my mouth uh, mistaking a little dude for a little girl, except the other one was in person with a little child, and it was very embarrassing. And I won't go into any more detail than that. <laughs> Maybe the little dude is one of our uh, is a fan of ours on, on Facebook because that's about the right demographic. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> the little dude, the little, the little yeah. ginger dude who's yeah. – <laughs> <Well, laughs> You know, I think by – I mean it was clearly an American I, – I, I don't know. Like I, yeah, I think, that, I think that it defies a, a single politics. I, what, what leads me to believe – po- What about a politics of the subaltern? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, 
I think that so the that, flag represents hegemony in general, and it, not, well, sure, not, it, uh, right? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that that's about right. I think that the the fact that it's sort of it's clearly sort of takes place in America, and it's kind of America on American. Um, you know, uh, oppression, uh, and the fact that the um, that it's it's targeted at a you know an ethnic group, a quote unquote ethnic group that seems to be uh, not not really an ethnic group. You know that that seems to that seems to like really share the the a lot of the important features of the the dominant ethnic group in America is supposed to give us some sense of the the kind of arbitrary nature of the ethnic distinctions that are right, at right. the base of a lot of. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of racism, which is which is that that how I how I get it. It's, it's about racism, but yeah, it's um, it's. I mean, it's definitely like you know, it sort of brings the it sort of brings the problem of ethnic violence home. I mean, of international of uh, of ethnic violence in in places other. Uh, other than this home, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's yeah. I mean, like uh, politics of the subaltern. Okay, like you know, it's bad to it's bad to round up people and make them sort of traipse through the traipse through the minefield. Like, yeah, okay. I think that's. I mean, I think that's true. I think it's also not a terribly controversial political stand to take. Right, 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 right. I mean, what what and, detail? Yeah. What? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, um, one one point to sort of to sort of tie back into the the video as a whole. Uh, thinking about the the video this morning, because I know we're going to be talking about it, it, it's a very interestingly made video, and I think it's a good example of the distinction that can be made in cinema. So I might be using this as an example in the future between something that invokes fear and something that invokes horror. Uh, and the best way I can describe it is fear is that is that shock reaction uh, that you know cat jumps out on the landing or you know serial killer jumps out from behind a shower curtain with the knife going on, uh, etc. It's the shock of the unexpected, whereas horror is that sinking terror of the expected. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that fulfill it's that fulfillment of something we hope isn't going to happen, and then the deliberate execution thereof. So for and I think I think we get elements of uh, we definitely get elements of of horror in this. It's that it's that very deliberate fulfillment that we've only started seeing in recent years with the Saw and Hostile movies of that sense of. Oh my God! They're they're not actually going to do this, are they? Oh my God! Yes, they've just done it. Oh my God! What are they going to do next? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So that's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting choice, and it's it's a very as you said, Pete, a very emotionally potent political statement. Not not very cerebrally nuanced. I just want to, on this point quickly, I want to say that I think that that aspect actually matches well with the, the nature of, of M.I.A.'s song, right? So she, the song is built on this sample um, of a song called Ghost Rider by um, a 1970s uh, New York post-punk band called Suicide. Um, that it, and they, they sort of took the, 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 the punk rock intuition of taking sort of basic surf rock riffs or very simple riffs, but they put them through really simplified early synthesizers, right? So they were like one of the first like electro uh, music uh, electro- electronic music duos um, and and the original song like like born free is this repetitive um uh, looping um, uh, synth read, and then MIA layers a lot of reverb on her on her vocals, so it creates this kind of um, building, you know, horror as as Parrish, uh, um described it. So it fits well with with the visuals and and the the kind of um, this this kind of inevitable movement towards this this terrible thing that that, that Parrish described. 
I'm glad you you actually mentioned that the the, the original song because I listened to the song uh, separately from the video after I watched the video and I really enjoyed the song and mm-hmm. I definitely got a a really like 70s punk vibe from it that it was um it seemed really simple but then there was all of that reverb and and additional things mm-hmm. on top of that um but i i think the the video itself i i think that the the redhead choice the ginger choice was an interesting one to give to an american audience because there is so much of a uh, of um, already in in different cultures, well, in in the UK, being a ginger is already a joke. It's already a group that has been targeted out for years, have being made fun of. And I'm I'm not a redhead myself. I don't know if redheads get made fun of in the United States. Perhaps they do, but it's not a thing that is consistent in our pop culture, and- where it is. In the UK, in the UK, is that is that connect is that a a, a sort of um, connected to to Ireland and sort of a more you know ethnic and, and national um, distinction, or is it just more 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 general? I'm not quite sure of where it would have originated from, but it could be that would make sense. And well, the yeah, my impression is it has to do with being Irish, yeah, mm-hmm. right, and, and also the very real risk of Irish terrorism, and right, and of course. Right. Right, you know, which and of course it, is never mind. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, the the doctor in Doctor Who always checks to make sure he's not a ginger, right? When he gets regenerated, right? And also, I um, there is um, in two thousand and five South Park in the in the fall mm-hmm. in November made this whole episode about being a redhead. About three months before that, Catherine Tate in England made this like nine minute long sketch that is funny but it's also very like it's it's a parody of someone being taken from their home and put into a safe refuge but for being a redhead and it's all about a redhead so i think it would be interesting if, if everyone's going to watch this video to also watch the Catherine tate sketch to kind of see another way that the same sort of well it's not the same exact message but it, the same kind of thing is using ginger to represent race or to represent uh, a different social group or and how that would relate to the social whole. Well, let me ask, let me ask this. You guys are familiar with the phrase uh, redheaded stepchild, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably, I don't know how uh, the, the, on where this falls on the scale of offense in this, but the phrase that's popping to my mind is uh, beaten around like a redheaded stepchild. Which is not a terrible thing to say, <laughs> but uh, that's uh, that, that, that's that's coming from somewhere, someplace, right? Where uh, it's not just that the, 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 the child is a stepchild, but it's also redheaded and therefore somehow less desirable and more likely to be beat upon. Well, I think the origin of the redhead stepchild is that you don't know the origin of you don't know the father. It's the redheaded stepchild is that the the wife was fooling around with the mailman and you know that it wasn't the real father's because he's a redhead. Oh, and so yeah, it's I obvious. I, I always took the implication to be that, you know, a, a a hint at the supposed unruliness of redheads, like they're they're harder to control than normal. And hmm. You know, if they're a stepchild, you have less affection for them than you would a biological child. So if they're unruly and they're already alien enough as a stepchild, you're going to, you know, beat them with added vigor. That was the reading I always took. (laughs) 
I thought it meant that they fought back. That's what that saying means, right? Like, you beat someone like a redheaded stepchild, that means that they beat you up, right? Because they're strong individuals who don't take no crap from nobody. Duh. No? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's so much. Now, what's interesting about this... Nah. But this thing is not, I got to get my two cents on a race in here because I am the token minority on the podcast, yada, yada, yada. Because um, when we first start talking about this and when I, I didn't get to watch the video per se, I just kind of skimmed, scrubbed through it and watched the, the frames go by. There was this sort of this idea that um, the video was trying to say, you know, show the sort of ethnic cleansing to, to that's happening to an ethnicity, uh, to a subgroup, which we don't really consider to be, uh, you know, automatic. We don't automatically associate with. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a politically salient uh, ethnic dis- or like physical distinction, right? Right. And, and, and my first reaction to that, well, is, is that, well, this is kind of uh, – it's, 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 it's sort of a shortcut way. It's not a very effective way to talk about race because, you know, if you show this – it really doesn't help to – it doesn't speak to the real – uh, issues of race we have where we have you know real identity politics and r- real groups with real political uh, associations with their race and ethnicity and with real historical basis of discrimination all those sorts of things but now that we just had this whole discussion about uh, Irish and the redheaded stepchilds and all this kind of stuff it really does kind of cast us in a different light there's, there's something interesting going on here well now it also I mean it creates a world where in which you know that the, the looks very much like ours right it's filmed in a very um, sort of realistic you know document faux documentaries uh style but it's obviously a some sort of alternate uh reality and i think what's very interesting in or you know in this in this world the world of this video is right after the, the you have the reveal that it's you know redheads that are being rounded up um there's a shot of a of a mural on the wall that says uh our time will come right and it's a a a a, a street painting of three redhead like insurgents uh, or vigilantes right so it, it it hints at there there is some kind of long standing right it, it imagines a situation in which this is politically salient and 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 you know is um uh you know is is the basis for a strong political affiliation uh, right. and you know probably histories of discrimination right so that these things are uh you know have a long a long history um behind them right and what we're talking about, about oh, sorry go ahead sorry, one last thing about on, on on the subject of race which i love to talk about um is uh, what we're sort of talking about this i guess manufactured uh, you know racial discrimination that's been well documented in psychological studies where they arbitrarily assign groups um to children school children um and say that you know give may assign half the classes the a group and half the classes the b group or the the blue and the orange group, nothing to do with the race or ethnicity. But the teacher says today the blue group is special and the orange group is not special. And immediately the children show the classic signs of a power of a hegemonic group that uh, uh, discriminating against and oppressing a minority group. Um, it's just it's so that is to say that. Um, I, I, that's the other thing I thought about when I thought about you know, you know, the there, discrimination. That, yeah. that was done to us in, in my elementary school as children. That was done really? to us where we uh, – yeah, and they, we were divided up I think into four groups like purple, green, yellow, and, and orange or something like, something like that. And the purples were the ruling class and I think the oranges were the, the, oranges were the slave class and then there were, a couple of, there were a couple of ones in the middle. And like only the purples could – What were like, you? What were you? Uh, I, I was I was in the middle. I was neither I was neither the most abject nor uh, the most exalted. 
of the of the classes. So I had rules like I had to ask permission before talking to a purple or some or some something like that. But I didn't have to do whatever the purples said. And it was it was like Lord of the Flies up in that piece. You know, <laughs> the um, you See, know, my, and like it, it was play- like really they really like cashed it out for the whole day. Like only the purples could play in the yard at recess. You know, and uh, See, my, my question is. My question is if it's, you know, if it's young enough kids, like this was what, uh, kindergarten, first grade? Yeah, yeah second or third, Which, something like that. I think it was school-wide, though. I think it was being done in all the classes. So, in fact, it would have been, uh, it would have been K through 6. Okay, but if it's, if it's grade school, then, I mean, why even, why even bother assigning privilege to various colors? Just tell people, okay, you're purple, you're orange, you're blue, etc., and then just... And then just let the the natural social Darwinism of grade school do its work, and you know let the, <laughs> let, the let the strongest and the most vicious decide which uh, which social order is going to be the highest. Yeah. Well, that's like field day. They used to do that in elementary school with us, <laughs> but we would just slop around in a like a kiddie pool of water and then chase around peanuts. Ryan, a- <laughs> what kind of field day did you have? <laughs> I think we would like, you know, throw footballs and kickballs and have run. Ryan, there's a famous right. social science experiment involving like uh, it done in a prison involving certain people being designated prisoners and certain guards and they started, you know, Yeah, this committing- the, it's the Stanford Stanford prison experiment. Um and it wasn't even done in a uh, the idea there was about, you know, would people um, adopt social roles. So just the creation of the social roles uh, induced behavior, right? So that um, students were recruited uh, for this social science experiment that took place in like the 70s, I believe, late 60s, early 70s. Um, And they were randomly assigned. Back before the the human subjects committee. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They, uh, they prevented us from answering all of the important questions right. um, um, about the nature, uh, of and they were randomly assigned to be to be um, uh, prisoners or or guards. Um, and I mean, it was I mean the way they carried it out. I mean the 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 prisoners. You know, they had signed up for the experiment, but they were, like, picked up in the middle of the night. I mean, in circumstances not dissimilar from uh, those uh, depicted in the MIA video. Um, and, I mean, they, it was eventually curtailed within very few days because the behavior of the guards, who were just you know, normal Stanford students, you know, became extremely brutal, extremely uh, cruel towards these, towards these students. Um, yeah. hey, this is I a- remember this was cited a lot uh, when Abu Ghraib came up. It's like, well, we, we've seen this happen before before basically mm-hmm. right the um i i, I want to uh I go on a little digression here i heard about the milgram experiment being essentially repeated in france recently recently yeah and, mm-hmm. and the, with a difference uh the authority was a reality tv show like game show host and so you were on huh. a game so the the, the uh-huh. experimental subjects were on a game show uh, where the the game was to administer progressively stronger electrical shocks, uh, mm-hmm. and it was just the social pressure of being on of quote unquote being on TV. I mean, it wasn't actually broadcast, but they believed like this was the pilot for a game show or something like that. And you know, of course, everyone is a confederate. Uh, the um, um, you know the the audience the uh, the uh, host and the the person being shocked the, you know are actors, but the um, 
but essentially, you know, it, the, essentially people did the same thing. They shocked it, and they, you know, they shocked their their neighbors. And the French were like, "Nah, eh, this is what happens. Uh, you know, you cannot avoid this." Well, the um, the Stanford Prison Experiment was uh, was was replicated uh, on a reality show um, on the BBC in 2002. It was a show called The Experiment, um, but also known as the, as the BBC Prison Study, um, and and uh, was was uh, the the. The guy, the, the psychologist, it was like an advised by a social psychologist named Alex Haslam, um, and used the same body of theory. I mean, the, the body of theory that both of these are, are testing is an idea uh, called social identity theory um, that comes from a paper by Taj Fell and Turner in the in 1979. So I guess I guess the Stanford Prison Experiment was was post Taj Fell and Turner. But uh, I mean, the argument though, um, so I mean, it definitely created a lot of controversy. Um, but one of the findings, the purported findings of this reality show, is that this grouping, um, that in this case, they let it, you know they put in certain safeguards, um, and uh, there was actually a basis for resistance on the part of the of the prisoners. So the idea that is that social identity theory could actually form um, a a basis also for for resistance and challenging of of the established orders of the, of, the, of the experiment. Viva la revolution! Viva la revolution! Fenzel. Mm. Okay, so uh, one thing I want to talk about I want to rescind something that I did say before Because I said that the music doesn't really have anything to do with the video uh, It does It has The music. The juxtaposition of the music in the video is pretty clear But I don't think it has much to do with MIA's artistic intention necessarily mm. Or much to do mm. about what the song is about Because the music And I was particularly uh, sort of offended by the L.A. Times piece on, on this video where they said that the phrase born free is taken from a 1966 environmentalist film. Because when I see uh, something saying that man is born free and oh. a pus, uh, that's actually and, – and that's clearly from the famous phrase. And this video is about the famous phrase by the philosopher Rousseau, man is born free but everywhere he is in chains, right? Yep, uh, and that's really, from my perspective, that's really what the video is about, right? It's about, uh, well, Rousseau calls it what the sovereign is the is the com- combination of the citizenry versus the government or the state, right? Which is which mm-hmm. by sort of nature and necessity oppresses the sovereign, and then they have a tension that erupts periodically in revolution, uh, and so he recommends having sort of tributary relationships to uh, between the sovereign and the government. So mm-hmm. the the idea that people have to have a veto over what the government is going to say. Uh, or else the people will rise up and overthrow and destroy the government. Um, right. So about the creation of a public will, right? A public will in juxtaposition. Um, right, to, right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that this sort of raises an interesting because Rousseau eventually comes to the social contract with all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where it all goes. Um, and, and I think that there's a, a certain when you're questioning the there's a lot questioning the fundamental social contract is very popular today. It is very popular on sort of all levels of political discourse where people are like. Hey, you know, the people aren't being represented like like these institutions are illegitimate, right? Like we're going to step forward. We're the ones who are really legitimate. Pay attention to us. And it's done as sort of a cynical ploy, I think, most of the time, right, to try to grab power. But I think that for me, it brings up and anybody can jump in on this. One of the really big tensions that kind of depresses me about politics. Right. And this is the tension between an idea of strictly compensatory justice and administration of power that is like. 
if you do something wrong to somebody and then they do something wrong to somebody and then they do something wrong to somebody, the way to fix things and to make things right is to go back and follow all the things that everybody did wrong to everything else until you get back to the beginning and you undo all the wrongs and then everybody's happy, right? This is like the theory that says we give uh, New York in totem back to the Native Americans and we all go back on boats and we go back to England. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. But on a lesser scale, it goes down to ideas of, okay, you know, with the Tamil Tigers, you know, there's, there's wrongs that are being committed on both sides. In the Middle East peace process, does this mean, like, everybody picks up and leaves Israel? Or does it mean that everybody who isn't Jewish picks up and leaves Israel? Like, everybody has their own take on what compensatory justice means for them, right? Whereas I tend to lean more towards an idea of having some sort of legitimacy, you know, like, and um, some sort of legitimacy that holds the state together for the, for the greater good of everybody, um, because it feels like it's so easy to say that there was a wrong committed, and because there was a wrong committed, you have to do what I say. And I don't think it follows. I mean, I think it's the same thing as the video that came out of WikiLeaks a while ago where the people are shooting the people in the streets. This is a horrible thing that happened. And the place where it loses me is, therefore, X. Right? Like, therefore, this is a policy recommendation that you should follow. Like, therefore, this is a person that you should vote for. Like, therefore, this is something that needs to happen to our government. Like, these are bad things that happen, and, and we deliberately leave blank the part where we actually come to a rigorous mm-hmm. conclusion mm-hmm. of what we're actually mm-hmm. supposed to do about it, because the assumption is, follow me. And it's exploitative, and I don't like it. And I, I find it to be intellectually dishonest, and well, I find it to be uh, reductive and, and, and kind of an insult. Now, well, well right, with MIA, the, the blank is just buy my album. Um. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like every <laughs> man is yeah, <laughs> man is born free, and everywhere he is pirating my music. So throw a revolution? I don't even know. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Does that make sense to anybody other than me? Like my level of, of frustration now with sort of you're seeing it with the back and forth a lot, and sort of the wrongs of the Obama the Bush administration, like going back and forth and who is righter and who is wronger. And it's like, why, why is this the way that we're figuring out what we're doing? Because we're never going to figure it out. Right. Um, I don't know. What, what do people think about that? The, the, in politics, that's, I mean, there's only two ways to convince people. You convince people you're good or you convince people that something else is bad. And most, most political discourse is one or both of those, and it's been that way since we started talking to each other. I mean, I understand your frustration with it, and it is sort of sometimes not necessarily perfectly related to whatever the issue is. Um, but, you know, like the oil spill right now, you know, the whole Gulf Coast covered in oil. It's on fire. It's terrible. Does that – I mean, so – environmentalists are saying well this is why we shouldn't drill for oil i mean there there's not how else are you going to use it well I mean, how else is- are you going to inspire people i mean it, there there are often um sort of universal truths that can be pulled out of that and used to to recommend policy or leadership of some kind yeah i mean i, I think that that you hit you hit the nail on the head and you're saying like these are the things that work Right. And, and I, this almost is like I had this talk with a lot of my friends around the last bunch of years where it's like when you're among friends, like let's not worry so much about what works. Like let's treat each other with a certain amount of intellectual respect. Right. Like and this is this is supposed to be art. Right. This is I mean, this isn't supposed to be just a tract. Right. This yeah. is just supposed yeah. to be somebody convincing you of something because they're advancing an agenda. When you when you are using discourse that is trying to convince somebody to follow an agenda that isn't intellectually rigorous, you have to take on faith that there's a reason why they're doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the time I do take on faith or not even take on faith. I have to have some sort of side reason to believe that this is the right thing to do. Right. Like I'm not going to advance a political party's um, like talking points if I don't actually believe on the things that I actually think the political party is going to do on the back end. 
right? I have to have some sort of other reason to believe that they're going to do something. But if the convincing is the only message that gets to even the people who are planning what's supposed to be going on, right? If all it is is the convincing, yeah, I mean it works, but but you know where does it where is it where is the energy going? Like where is it coming from? Now with the contemporary American political situation, that's why it's reductive. Like the people planning the different commercials and the different advertisements and the media campaigns and all the talking points and the viral videos, these people all have plans and you can find these plans like they talk about them in public all the time but when you're talking about like mia and this random director dude like what is he trying to say other than like fight the power and i mean i like fight the power but public enemy was a long time ago man you know like like what power are you gonna fight and why are you gonna fight it fight the u.s like which u.s there's like multiple different factions in the u.s you know like how how is this helping me better understand a situation that at this point like is pretty well trod um, it's interesting because there's your fiscal pants for the festival. Uh, yeah. oh, good. <laughs> so I've said a lot, so if someone else wants to jump in first. Okay, then I'll go. What? Screw <laughs> it. Uh, Pete, I, I, think you're, I think you're unfairly discounting the value of discourse and awareness in its own right. Yeah. I, I mean, not, not every... Not every illustration of social or institutional ills uh, can or should have a prescription for action next, simply because they're two entirely different things. And I think one of the more harmful things in American politics in particular, because that's where I'm, where I'm most well-versed, but I'd, I'd be willing to bet globally, is the presumption that you know, so long as we're doing something – we're making progress or, you know, the retort that at least I'm doing something where, you know, any, any change or any, any progress is more profitable than simply stopping and waiting and figuring something out. Uh, Daniel Quinn, the, the author of Ishmael and the story of B and a number of other sort of fairly radical sociological slash environmental tracts, uh, talks about this a lot. He's he's frequently asked, okay, if you know the situation is as bad as it is and the earth is in real danger, what are we supposed to do about it? And his answer is, we are doing something about it. We're talking about it. That constitutes progress. I mean, to take it to the Christian mythos, there had to be a John the Baptist before there could be a Jesus. There has to be a, you know, there has to be a Reverend Elijah Muhammad before there can be a Malcolm X. There has to be a Muhammad before there can be, you know, an every Imam that's come after Muhammad. Uh, there, there has to be. Yeah, but you still needed Jesus, and the guys could talk in Philadelphia all they want, but until the shots started firing, you didn't have a United States. Like, and Elijah Muhammad was crazy. That's true too. <laughs> true. And, you, and, and like, things that you are might say John MIA, too. But John the Baptist was probably crazy too. MIA's yeah. vi- video, uh, it, the things that happen in there aren't real. Like they're fictional. I mean, obviously they're similar to things that are real, but I have a real, I have a real gripe with art presented as bad history. This is why I hate the book in 1984, right? Because it's like, if I want to know about the things that are wrong with communism, like, there's plenty of documentation. Why not just tell me the things that are wrong with communism? Why do you have to make up pretend communism? So, so the problem with MIA's video is that it was not a documentary on Darfur. <laughs> well, if you were talking about Darfur, it would have some sort of clearer idea of like what, what it was supposed to be about and what we're supposed to do, other than sort of evoke a cynical, political, emotional response. Or she would have... So, if she sorry. used, oh, sorry, John, <laughs> go ahead. No, Natalie, you haven't talked about. You go first. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with. If she had used, or the filmmaker had used Latinos instead of redheads, that would have, you know, that would have deserved all of the buzz that it is getting. Like it, it still deserves the buzz, but I, I feel like it would have 
it would have at least struck more of a substantial chord with me, I guess. Sorry, Pete, to, to clarify something you said, you said that this was, could you, could you reiterate what you were saying about this being fiction? Like that it was depicting things that don't actually happen because it was depicting things that it was depicting depicting things that didn't actually happen. Now it depicts things that, that happen in other circumstances to other people, but it changes events and fictionalizes them in order to manipulate your emotions. Right. Right. So that's, like, that's all fiction. I mean, yeah, that's the whole point. So yeah, I mean, so, I mean this is no, an argument about fiction. fiction. That's, just, argue- that's not the point of fiction. The point of fiction is not to convince you to do something. Fiction is art. It has all sorts of other sorts of purposes. Right. So this is this, this is an argument about political art, right? I mean, you say, like, you, I mean, I think that um, you know, if, if 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 I'm understanding you, that. You know, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that, uh, interpreting that. Like, so is there a? I guess my question then is: Is there a role for political art, or or is that, um, or 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 is that inherently prone to the sort of dangers that you're outlining of that it, it provokes it it it, it, ha- it it harnesses the power of art to sort of um, you know evoke an an, an an emotional response or a response that sort of um, is, is extremely evocative without providing you know answers. I mean, like, well, is there a way to do that better? Yeah, I, well, I, I don't. Go ahead. Uh, I don't. I'll, I'll I'll just say one more thing and then I'll let you take over, Pete. I, I don't think the point of I don't think the point of political art is to necessarily convince people to do something. I think it's supposed to evoke a reaction in a political context. For instance, I don't think Guernica, you know, Picasso's Guernica was was necessarily accompanied with a a policy uh, briefing with it, other than you know the you know the the ruling Spanish government and conversely the Nazis are bad, uh, and, and I don't think that really counts. I don't think, you know, Edith Wharton's The Age of Innocence was supposed to be accompanied by some policy on, you know, American politics of the 1920s, uh, other than, you know, hey, isn't this similar to the Gilded Age we just went through in the 1870s? And similarly, I don't think Born Free is necessarily supposed to or would be improved by some policy dictate on what is meant to be done about the situation in Sri Lanka, Laos, Cambodia, Darfur, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I I'm think well, it, it informs us on all of them because what it makes you do is think about, wow, it's awful that this group of people is being rounded up for something that's none of their fault. I mean, it's just it cuts underneath all of those, mm-hmm. and that's what good political art is supposed to do. It's supposed to it's supposed to convince you. It's supposed to remind you of something you already know. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to get you in touch with sort of one of those underlying truths that then can be applied to many of them. Yeah. And it's been doing that. I mean, that's what the Iliad's about, right? That that informed Greek culture for thousands of years. They they followed it. They believed that it was a way for them to reconnect with sort of their underlying values. Same with the Bible. Same with most literature. I mean, say with the, the great literature that has moved people has always done that. And I was really moved by this. I mean, I was sort of like, I was I was knocked back by it, and it made me think not of any particular instance, but just of sort of like. It's ridiculous that this is still going on in the world, and I think that was her basic point. Yeah, I, I definitely have a very fundamentally different idea about um, the sort of position of literature most of the time and what it's accomplishing. Like, I love the Iliad too, but it's not the way that it informs Greek culture and sort of the governance of Greek states and the way that that people choose to run their civilizations because of this book. That's why I love it. I mean, I love it for its you know elements of beauty. I love it for the way that it articulates things about the human condition. I think one of art's great powers is the ability to articulate meanings that are very difficult mm, yeah. to articulate with facts or with or not even with facts, but with the sort of very I guess, of course, then we get into the 
blurry area between art and history, right? And sort of like, are you inventing history, creating history, and all that other stuff? But if you're in the sort of mission area of history, um, then you're sort of presenting a different kind of information than if you're presenting the mission area of art. And I feel like with art, you want to be contributing some sort of additional uh, level of, of insight into meanings or into well, – I mean, you have to, you have to of course – what you call it is going to depend upon what your goals are in, in an artistic sense. So, you know, deconstruction and deconstruction or, or like beauty and aesthetics or the sublime or, you know, any, any of the other like theories of standards of, for art or any other paradigm for the value of art. Um, there's something that art is doing that is different from instructing people on how they should live. Um, because otherwise, I mean, and I guess it, it is, it is expository, right? It, it so there's a subset of it that, that does that. But I guess with this piece, maybe the big difference I had with it was I didn't see it as very ambiguous as to who it was talking about. Um, I mean, I think that, I think that the, um, the fact that the redhead people are wearing the face scarves, I think they have AK-47s in the pictures, yeah. right, rather than mm-hmm. M-16s. Mm-hmm. So when, if this is taking place in America, why do they have, like, Russian Middle Eastern weapons, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if, if mm-hmm. this is really something like, oh, we're just transposing both sides and telling you a sort of universal story yeah. Oh, yeah. that and happens... The, uh, the, the... Well, but if, if, they're, if they're wearing Kevin's, they just could be hipsters. I mean... Right? <laughs> That's very <right>, true. <laughs> <laughs> this is happening in the women's Well, this is, you, yeah, know, <laughs> you know, first they came for the first they came for the Cobra Snake, and I did not speak up. Before I was not... <laughs> the Cobra Snake. <laughs> no, no, you didn't speak up because the uh, the, the cobra snake's a d bag. I mean, uh... <laughs> um, okay, so you know, look, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I think this is an interesting question. I mean, there's a continuum between art for for what we can call its own sake and uh, political propaganda. That I mean, both of those are sort of loaded terms, but I think we can we can imagine where they might lie, and we can draw a continuum between those two things and and you know most things fall somewhere along that continuum and and you know lean to one side or another depending on uh i guess depending on the depending on the circumstances um but uh here is this you know here is this piece of of um of uh, art or propaganda or you know of music video that uh that was pulled down off of youtube does anyone want to say anything about the um the uh uh, you know about the the I don't want to say censorship because it's not strictly speaking censorship. I mean it's not you know abridgment of the freedom of speech, but like the pulling down of this from YouTube. Well, so the I mean, wasn't it originally pulled down by the record label, and then they made up a lie that it was pulled down by YouTube for being offensive? Anyway, somebody else can step in and I don't, and, and run. Oh, with I that. don't know about that. That's oh. that's sort of one side of it. The other side is that YouTube just pulled it down because it was violent and um you know they've got 13 year olds on there who then saw a 13 year old get shot through the head and um so they didn't actually remove it what they did was they sort of played with it so it was harder to find i guess it wasn't showing up on sort of the top of their lists um and this is sort of one of the this is the problem of having youtube be such a big part of the culture now it's and having only the one i mean there are not one that everybody goes to first. Um, it's it's and it's a private company. It's not sort of bound by the rules of freedom of speech. It doesn't have to take that into account. And so, 
it's it's to me it's sort of dangerous that uh, that they've done this that they've taken this piece which clearly has I mean has incited uh, emotion and thought amongst this group and presumably others as well um, so it's a shame that you know some corporate bureaucrat somewhere gets to decide oh well this bothers me so I'm not going to let other people see it well it's not well, to I, be I, fair, hold on that's, that's a straw man that's a straw man argument there is there isn't one corporate bureaucrat who's like this offends my sensibilities. I mean, there's a team of corporate bureaucrats making a risk assessment. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're, they're, they're not, they have no, I mean, it's impossible to offend those corporate bureaucrat people. They, they make a determination that is a, essentially a risk assessment about liability. And to be fair, well, the interesting thing about it, though, is that by taking it down, they've vastly increased the popularity of the clip. Definitely. Yeah. And thus increased their own revenue. That's always the way. I mean, you know, uh, the, the obscenity case made Ulysses a hit. And to be fair, McNeil, it's not as if our ability to talk about it is necessar- is emblematic of how thought-provoking it is. I mean, by that standard, Gossip Girl is controversial and damning and, you know, a, a stand against oppression throughout the world. So, Talk to people in the middle of the country about Gossip Girl. I think they'd find it pretty... Uh flagrant and, and <laughs> incomprehensible. <laughs> They've never been to Milmofuco. I mean, <laughs> I've never been to Milmofuco. What are you talking about? Okay, let's, let's wrap Move up back to this. New York. Let's wrap up with the uh, with the MIA versus Lady Gaga. You know, I'm on record as being very appreciative of um, of of the uh the work of gaga and i i am not i haven't stopped just because uh you know just because uh mia be be talking poop about her but um is there anything is there anything to be said about this uh about this issue uh you know who who is the real artist or who's the um you know who's the charlatan or or who's out to sell records or who's out to really make a statement or whose statement is worthwhile i guess is the is more mm-hmm. the where the debate is framed. Yeah, can I just ask you, like, what exactly is at stake here? Is MIA saying that Lady Gaga is just purely derivative and not doing anything original? Or is it more about the political thing, like Lady Gaga, like MIA saying, ooh, look at me, my stuff is political, well, the, and Lady I, Gaga I mean, just the the point, the crash. Point, uh, you know, I don't know. The, the only coherent point I read in the, the material that Ryan circulated before the podcast that seems to be a criticism is that the, um, is that the, the music, the actual music output is out of step with... Uh, what she purports is her aesthetic and social message. You know, the the aesthetic and social message of Gaga is light years ahead uh, in terms of being um, avant-garde of the music, which is which is sort of banal, uh, cliche synth pop. A lot of it. And the thing is, I agree with that. I Lady Gaga, her her background, her. Um, her music and her style and her dancing and her videos all don't fit together. But I don't think that really matters. I, f- I feel like, in general, Lady Gaga is still a pop star. MIA is still a pop star. And I feel like we're putting too much of, uh, of a weight on Lady Gaga's shoulders to be original, to be the next Madonna. Because... Lady Gaga still has to work under a contract with a record label. She still has to go produce albums and do videos. It's still very much she's part of the machine. She's part of the pop machine. So, right, more, more, you go ahead. Well, I, I just feel like 
I feel like we're holding her to too high. I love Lady Gaga. I think, and I more so. I I think what she's doing is all in all positive. It comes out net positive. Yeah. And I think what MIA is saying is that she doesn't think she's original and and all that, and that's fine. But also at the same time, one of the things that MIA. Uh, was critical of Lady Gaga was that she sells things in the music videos. And of course she does. And that's really uncomfortable that she's selling name brand burgers and vodka and, and everything. And, and her videos are sure one long commercial, but the thing is, everything is now uh, it's, that is part of oh, right. MIA selling things too, right? Her album, exactly. Romain uh, Gravas's uh, selling his film. new movie. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Hit that video is just as much of a commercial as Lady Gaga. So that point, I do not believe is is valid. So and at a, and, certain, at a certain point, though, that yeah. way lies. At a certain point, that way lies madness because you know the the, the number of things that can be that can be sort of uh, in a that you can be procrustean and say sort of that that everything is a commercial. No, maybe everything is a commercial more than it was twenty or fifty or a hundred years ago. But um, you know, but the the uh, the everything is a commercial argument is not. I don't know. I mean, Madonna had to labor under the, the, the strictures of a, of a record deal. And I think that the interesting thing about Lady Gaga is that she kind of makes that the canvas. You know what I mean? That is to say, what she's doing is the subject of what she's doing. Uh, yeah. Though that way lies madness as well. So I suppose I'm breaking my own rule. Right. Well, I think that more rule, so in the last... My rule being, I think, preventing madness. <laughs> which what I'm about to say may not do anything to help us get out of that. But in, in terms of I, I products are now being part of the creative process in pop culture, how to sell a product is now being worked into scripts and to pilots. And I'm sure into it's going to be hitting music videos if it hasn't already. So I feel like in that way, it's, much, much different that it's part of the creative process than it was ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Yeah, that's. that's you know, I thought long and hard about. I, I thought long and hard about the about you know when creating this podcast about Skype, the number one voice over IP solution, which is guaranteed to provide you with high quality sound. <laughs> Brought to you by well, hey, Cisco Telepresence. Well, I just I have a point on on Natalie's point about the commercialization of songs. So the Chris Brown song that um, went viral in that in the wedding dance um, video was originally written for Doubleman Gum. Because, <laughs> um, like, the course of the song involves the lyrics "double your pleasure, double your fun." Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm dead, deadly serious. <laughs> and I mean, we're all supermaning our hose now. Tell me about it. Well, <laughs> I got if you would like, Wait, to, what product is that? <laughs> if you would like, I'm just to gonna superman, say that after random statements. <laughs> I'm trying Tell to do the outro it. here, guys. Tell if you would like to superman it. the hose on the Overthinking We're It podcast, you know what to do. You can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Call us at 203-285-6401. If you do that uh, to leave some listener feedback that we will include on the next listener feedback episode, make sure to leave your latitude and longitude so that we know where to target the missiles. Uh, 
if you uh, well, if let you us want... know for Ginger, Ginger, um, when you leave your latitude and longitude, and MIA will send out the troops. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially <laughs> if you're a Ginger. Um, we uh, we do the show live in UStream, uh, our our UStream uh, room. You can search for Overthinking It on UStream. We do it Sunday nights at um, at uh, six fifteen Pacific time, nine fifteen p.m. Eastern time, zero one one five hours. Uh, UTC. Uh, that time is good. that UTC time is good until uh, American Daylight Savings changes, and um, we uh, we want. Haven't we done the show live at other times, Matt? Have we? Yeah, I not, think some not, guys not, may have not, done not the, that not recently. Not the podcast, but I'm being I'm being prompted to give a shout out to uh, Improv Boston, where we did uh, two overthinking at live shows in in Geek Week. We were actually going to talk about them tonight, but the uh, the MIA stuff was just too uh, too interesting. It's I mean we'll never pass up a good self referential conversation about art on this uh, on this podcast. And finally, if you would like. Uh, if you would like us to commercialize this podcast by uh, attracting sponsors, you can help us out to become a solvent and <laughs> self-sustaining uh, endeavor um, by filling out the listener survey that you'll find on the homepage uh, of our website. That, you know, uh, we, we don't know any personally identifiable information about you. And yes, it is long. <laughs> and yes, the, some of the questions are, are a little bit in, invasive, but they are only used in aggregate. And we, uh, we are grateful for you taking the time to do that um, so that we can, uh, we can sell your ears to the many, many advertisers who want to connect with them because uh, overthinking it listeners are nothing if not uh, attractive, uh, wealthy, with a high percentage of you know, disposable income. So uh, go to the homepage of the website and fill that out for us, if you will. I think that's everything. But wait, what website is that? Why, it's www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of Scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Pete, I don't like it when we fight. All I want to do is boom, 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 and cha-ching, kill, you. and kill your gingers. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs>